Okay, would you stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word this morning? Our reading is found in Matthew chapter 14, um, starting in verse 22. It says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. <laughs> then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Lord, take this word of yours and pierce our hearts. God, I pray for Pastor Kyle as he speaks, that your Holy Spirit would speak through him and speak to him. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Mark. And um, I was going to ask, uh, perhaps, I don't know if it's just me, but this sounds a little loud. So maybe you can just put it down a little bit. Thanks, Mike. Well, uh, usually when you read a story in the Gospels that um, Jesus is inviting the disciples to get in a boat, usually it's not good. <laughs> Something is about to happen. Um, but before we go there, I just want to remind you all about some things that are, that are important that are coming up and I hope that you can participate with. You, you might have received an email from me this week. If you're not on our email list, um, we send out emails about what's going on at church on Sunday, the songs we're doing, all sorts of things. Um, if you don't get those and you would like to be on that list, just, um, just let me know. You can even just fill out a card, um, one of those connection cards in your seat and put it in the... Um, put it in that box in the back, and then, you, then I can add you to that list. So that's a way in which we, we communicate about what's going on at the church and different events. Um, we know that not everyone is here every single Sunday, so if, if all we do is announce it on Sunday, some people might miss the announcement. So anyway, uh, if you want to be added to that list, you just let me know, or you can put that card in the, in the box, and I'll add it to our list. But the email that I sent out this week um, has to do with a meeting um, that we're going, and you, you heard it a little bit today, but there have been some challenges that our church is facing. I mean, nothing, no, no crisis that's incredibly huge, but challenges none, nonetheless, and we've had to think about ways in which we're going to deal with those challenges. One of them is financial. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit at length um, next week about some of the things that we're thinking, ideas that we've had, and just to get your feedback. The reason I'm bringing this up now is, both, again, to encourage you to actually be present next week and bring your own lunch. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll, we'll take a short break in between our meeting and, and the end of our church service and have some food, and it'll be a good time. Um, but, but one of the things, though, that has come our way that is potential help to us and a potential way we can help um, someone else is that there is another church in our community that needs a place basically to meet for church for the next six months. Um, and we just wanted to get your feedback. So again, if you didn't get the email, um, that's why I'm mentioning it today. Uh, basically, if we do this, it would mean that we would have to switch our service to 11 rather than 1030. Um, that's really the only way in which we can work it out with them, you know, that they have to meet at a certain time. And that's kind of like the closest we can come to, to not changing too much about the time that we meet. So, um, so it's a way to help them, but it, but it also is a way to help us with some of our financial needs. So just give me your feedback. Tell me, let me know. We're not absolutely committed to this yet. We're not really sure exactly if we're going to do it. But I do need to let him know by Wednesday. So just let me know what you think. Okay, send, talk to me. Send me an email if you don't have time to talk to me after church. Um, and give me your feedback. We would love to hear from you. Okay? Um, let's see here. 
what else do I got? Oh, you know what? I would like um, one more time to pray um, specifically for our sister Fran. Could you join with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to come to you again and remember our sister Fran. Um, God, she's gone through a lot of ups and downs in her fight right now. Um, we pray, Lord, that, God, she's in one of those downs right now, and it's um, a scary situation for her, for her family. Um, but, God, we pray, Lord, that you would turn it around and that you would heal her. To live is, we know that to die is gain, but to live is Christ. Um, God, um, we pray for her life and that you would heal her so that we, she, she would have some more years to enjoy life with your people and to um, live for Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless her, comfort her family, um, give them faith, and ask again that you would bless our time together again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, for the past three to five months, you know that we've been studying the New Testament letter called Galatians. Um, we finished that actually by video for the fake hurricane that we had, remember, a few weeks ago. Um, we thought there was going to be a hurricane, and it, um, and it wasn't, but we ended up concluding our sermon series through a video. I hope some of you were able to watch that. But we finished the book of Galatians, and you probably remember, if you were following along, that the primary message of the book of Galatians um, is that all of humanity is under the curse of sin. They are separated from God in this life and the next because God is holy and we have sinned against him. But the message of Galatians is that we are made right with God, not by personal reform, not by, we don't get out early on good behavior. We, we are not made right with God based on our heroic efforts or phenomenal accomplishments or business savvy. We are saved, according to scripture, by the pure and free grace of Jesus Christ plus nothing else. And that is the message of the gospel. The love of God is given undeservedly to us. It is not earned by our efforts. Did you get that out of our time in Galatians? I hope so. But there was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German who lived um, during the, the, um, the, the um, during Nazi Germany's height of power. He fled um, from Germany for his life, out of fear for his life, because he disagreed with everything that was going on. So he fled, but then felt conviction under the spirit that he needed to stand with his countrymen. So he returned. He fought against um, Hitler um, as part of a, a German sort of response to him. And eventually he was executed for his faith and for his resistance against Nazi Germany. Um, something fell. There we go. It's getting humid. All our sticky things are falling off the wall. <laughs> We're saved by grace through faith as a free gift plus nothing. But, G but Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote this. Salvation is Christ in Christ is free, but it is not cheap. He says many people live under the false security of cheap grace. And he defines it like this. Grace, cheap grace is grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man will gladly sell all that he has. He says, what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. So that when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Friends, when God calls us to salvation, and we learn about this free grace of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, he also calls us to salvation. I mean, excuse me, he also calls us to discipleship. And discipleship, according to Jesus, we receive the command, take up your cross and follow me. We read in God's word that whosoever, how many people love this passage, whosoever will may drink of the waters of life without cost. 
we contribute nothing to our own salvation. We can't increase the love of God because of our good works. That is the clear message of the, the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that we may drink of the waters of life without cost. But you know what else the scriptures say? That if anyone be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. And that is the call to all Christians listening this morning. That is our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus, to take up a cross and follow him, to truly worship him as our Lord, our King, our Savior, our life. And there is no time to waste. Everything is on the line. There's violence in our streets. Did you know that? There's divorce in our homes. Depression and anxiety are at an all-time high in our culture, and it's getting worse, and we experience it ourselves. Who will follow Jesus to the ends of the earth and do what he says? Not to mention the myriad of souls around us, friends and neighbors, that if they were to die this moment would be forever separated from the love of Christ and lose eternal life. Friends, do we really believe what we say we believe? Our own heart is on the line. This church's power is on the line. Our neighbors' lives are on the line. Jesus, when he calls a man, he bids him to come and die. In the early 1700s, did you know that England was probably more wicked than any other place on earth at the time. They were about as wicked as any culture could be. You don't think of 1700s England being like that. You think of tea and crumpets and fancy clothes, right? That's sort of what you imagine. England in the 1700s held a virtual monopoly on the slave trade and put um, Africans in a, in a position that no animal should be put in. Stuffing them into hulls of ships and their own filth and waste and sweat at sea for months and months until they were delivered to other countries, the United States in particular, to be sold and to work our fields without pay. Women, if women in the 1700s were convicted of arson, they were strangled and then burned alive. Criminals who refused to plead guilty after they were sentenced unjustly to guilt, if they refused to plead guilty, they were, they were laid down and they had iron weights placed on their chest until they, crushed to they were crushed to death. Their prison system was called a hell on earth. Prisoners were chained on their backs to the floor and an iron collar with spikes was placed around their necks. This was an Ash Street prison in New Bedford. The citizens of England in a year, it's, it's remarked by Henry Fielding, drank more gin than beer. Right, that's a big deal if that doesn't make sense to you, but that's a big deal. Gin makes you drunk quick, right? Beer doesn't. The citizens of England in a year drank more gin than beer. Henry Fielding commented, should the drinking of gin be continued at its present height during the next 20 years, there will be very few of the common people left to drink it. That's the sort of place that England was in the 1700s until the gospel came at the preaching of one man, John Wesley. And in 50 years, through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ through one man, England was transformed. The slave trade was abolished, the nation was sobered, the prison systems were reformed, and the heart of a nation was restored. How on earth are we missing out on the power that we have that he had? According to Wesley, and also men like William Wilberforce, who was a politician in England, who was one of those chiefly responsible for abolishing the slave trade, William Wilberforce wrote a book called Real Christianity. You might want to get it. It's wonderful. According to Wesley and Wilberforce and others, they said the problem with England was not paganism. It wasn't atheism, which is the belief that there's no God, 
It wasn't deism, which is the belief that there might be a God, but he's uninterested in us, so do what you want to do, right? The problem with our world is not philosophers like David Hume peddling deism. The problem with England is cultural Christianity. That's what he said the problem was. Deism and paganism didn't bring this wickedness on. It was Christians who came in the name of Christ, but not with the power of Christ. It was Christians who wore Jesus like a coat, but didn't have him in their hearts. Wilberforce said that these live for personal pleasure and personal peace. They use Christianity simply to make their lives comfortable. Faith is only a means to that end so that personal pleasure and peace become, quote, according to Wilberforce, personal pleasure and peace are the regulators of where we live, where we work, how we spend our time, what we think, what we say, and how much we amuse ourselves. You see, those things become the operating principles of our lives. The great issue, he says, of our lives becomes boredom. What a tragedy. He advises that people with authentic faith in Jesus Christ must resist this love of self that continually encroaches on our sacred spaces. Oh, friends, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. The clarion call of Jesus to anyone who would call themselves believers in Jesus Christ is to actually believe what we say we believe. Let me give you an example. Jesus said, ask whatever you will in my name, and you can say from this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done. Do we believe that, or do we just say it? Actually believe what we say we believe. We say we believe that we are not to love the world, nor the things in this world. Do we believe it, though, in our hearts? So here we go. We're saved by the free grace of God, God's undeserved favor and love, so that we might live our lives sacrificially in our following of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is free, but it costs us everything. I know that sounds ironic. I know those sound like opposite statements, but when I read the scriptures, there is no way around it. Our salvation is free, but it costs us everything. We are to take up our cross and follow him. So this morning, we will look at one text that deals with that subject of costly grace, real Christianity, or Christian discipleship in particular. And we all know this story. I think we've probably heard it from time to time. Peter sees Jesus walking on water and asks, hey, can I come out there with you? And then seeing the wind and waves, he become, becomes afraid and sinks. But there, there is more to this so miracle, this story, there's more to this story than a simple miracle going sideways. At its heart, this is about discipleship and faith and the life of following Christ. We're going to see this morning that disciples of Jesus Christ must do three things. Get in, step out, and reach up. Get in, step out, and reach up. So let's talk about it. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and later that night he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Boat, boats have a tendency to float. And buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So here comes this awful storm. Jesus is nice and dry and comfy on land, praying. The first thing that we notice is that Jesus' disciples get in the boat. Disciples of Christ are people that listen to Jesus. They do what he says. You know, I, don't, I didn't need $20,000 to go to Gordon-Conwell Gordon to learn that. It's very simple, right? We, we read the scriptures and we know that a disciple of Jesus, our job is as simple 
as listening to what he tells us to do. And they did. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. They didn't argue or debate. They didn't think, well, you know, Jesus, the game is on tonight, and I'm going to miss it if I do this. Can we go on the boat tomorrow when it's more convenient and comfortable for us? Right? They didn't complain. You know, Jesus, Peter's getting a little old. You know, his knees hurt when it's cold. So can he not go on the boat? <laughs> they didn't offer up all of the, 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 the things that we often say as to, as to, like, get in the way of what God is calling us to do in our Christian devotion. They did it. They got in the boat. They were following the command of Christ. As you read the Gospels, you might notice um, that some of these disciples, too, that, now this adds to the, the, just the nature, the, the incredible nature of their obedience to Jesus. Because it seems to me that as you read about the disciples following Jesus, they didn't even really know who he was all the time. Did you notice that? When Jesus calmed the wind in another story, they said, who is this that commands the wind to stop and it listens? We know the answer to that question. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He's the creator. They didn't even really get that, and they're still following. They're still obeying him. And they didn't even really know who he was entirely. And we do. They didn't know exactly who he was, and they followed him anyway. They gave up their houses, their homes, their careers, their comforts to follow Christ. And we, his people, we know who he is. Yet it seems often, I could say at least in my life, that despite the knowledge that I know that Christ is the creator king of all things, the, the savior and redeemer, the one who I am destined to be with forever, I know all this, yet I can't do half of what he asked the disciples to do. Friends, have you gotten in? Have you heard the voice of Christ and stopped making excuses and said, yes, Lord, right? Do you know and obey the word of Christ? Again, we learned already, we don't obey Christ to earn his favor. We have his favor. We obey Christ because there is no other way to live. Where would we go, Lord? For you alone have the words of life. We could, we could disobey and live and try to find life our own way. I've tried it, been there, done that, doesn't work. I end up miserable, right? Do we neglect private prayer, Bible meditation, simply for comfort or work obligations? Perhaps I haven't shared my faith with a neighbor because I just don't want to look weird, right? Gathering with God's people on a Sunday or whenever, even just on your own, you know, it's just, it gets a little weird and Pat's going to talk about Jesus and you know, I don't know what to say when she does that, so I'm just not going to go. <laughs> oh, how often Christ says, get in the boat, and we stay comfortable on shore in a beach chair and refuse. A simple thing. Jesus tells the disciples to get in, and they did. Consider Mark chapter 1. They were in the habit of doing this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Oh, friend, I, I can't even leave a meal sometimes. I'm eating lasagna, Jesus. It's hot. If I leave now, it's going to get cold. And I'm going to have to eat something like stale bread that you give me. I don't want to do that. Jesus said, and they obeyed. They get in. They were in the habit of listening to their master. So they left their home and their business to follow some young no-name rabbi that, that some of them didn't even fully realize yet that he was the Messiah. You might say that they loved Jesus more than, the, that more than they loved their moms, their dads, their kids their money, and their jobs. More than financial security and comfort. Every day, Jesus bids us in one way or another to get in some sort of boat. And we need to say yes. 
to go, to trust him, to love him more than our lives. I want you to consider this too, because this is important. This is an important point that we really need to kind of take responsibility for. The disciples were close enough to Jesus to even hear what he was saying. They were listening to the voice of God. Right, you know, sometimes in life, we're not even close enough to Jesus or even interested to know what he's saying. We're not reading the word. We're not hearing it from, from the pulpit being preached. But these were close enough to Christ so that they at least could even hear his command. Oh, so often, I have not even considered what Jesus even wants. I only think about what I want. Where I'm not even on the bank of the sea to hear him tell me get in the boat. I'm at home, safe and snug, tucked in my warm, comfy bed in Jerusalem because I never went with him to begin with. We might ask, why, why don't we obey the Lord? But friends, can't we even ask, what is he even saying to obey? They might not have understood Jesus' commands. They might have thought maybe in their heart, I don't really get this. This seems a little silly, maybe even a little bit risky. But they were close enough to hear him, and they trusted him enough to obey him. Friend, the voice of Christ is calling you to get in the boat. Are you in it yet? Are you in the boat? Are you on the seashore just kind of like watching the people in the boat sort of sail away? Friends, get in the boat. Follow Jesus. Let's get real. I know, uh, listen, friends, I say this to myself because I know that many of you get this and you follow Jesus, but isn't it true that even, even when we're at our best, that a day can completely spoil the whole thing? We all, even the most devoted of Christians, need to remind ourselves of the incredibly important task that we have to get in the boat, to be followers of Jesus Christ, to go where he leads. Will you be my disciple? Will you follow me? Even when he asks us to do things that don't seem very comfortable and maybe even a little bit risky, will we obey Christ? So friends, a disciple is someone that gets in, but a disciple is also, it gets worse and better. A disciple is someone who gets in, but a disciple is also someone that steps out. Let's talk about that now. Shortly before dawn in verse 25, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. What an entrance. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, of course, like you and I would be, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. So let's review. They listened to Jesus. They get in the boat, and now they're in big trouble. You ever been there? So Jesus, you want me to do this? Okay, I don't really want to, but I'm, I'm just going to trust you that everything's going to go great if I do it. But then we do it, and things don't go great. Trouble, wind, storms, waves. This is bad. And now there's a ghost headed towards us. Right? Why is there always such a consequence when we step out in faith and get in the boat? Why does it always seem to come along with something dangerous and undesirable? Why does Jesus do this to us? Well, one sort of semi-ancient writer John Calvin remarks to that question. He says this, When Christ permitted his disciples to be tossed about in a perilous condition. I like that. Because God permits us to be tossed about in perilous conditions. Isn't that true? When Christ permitted his disciples to be tossed about in a perilous condition, it was simply for this reason. It was 
to fix their attention more powerfully on the assistance which was brought to them. Let me explain what he means. If Jesus heals a hangnail, oh, thanks, Jesus. That's nice. (laughs) Right? If Jesus mends my broken leg, even better. That's a little bit more painful. But if I'm told I have three weeks to live because of a cancer found in my body, you see, there's no way out. I'm done. When, when the power of Christ prevails over the impossible, we are only left to glorify God because we cannot look to anything that we have done in that situation. Nothing could we have contributed to help with the problem, right? There is no way that we will understand that in his hand he holds the waters and the mountains and the winds unless he allows the waters and the mountains and the winds to touch us. See? These were afraid of the wind because they didn't realize that Jesus holds it in his hand. Suddenly they see what they think is a ghost. (laughs) So, okay. So, bad scene, storm, wind, waves, we might die. And then all of a sudden, they see a ghost walking on the water, what they think is a ghost, and they're terrified. As if that violent windstorm in the middle of the sea wasn't enough, now they need Egon's proton pack to deal with, to zap this ghost thing and trap it in their little box, right? But Jesus speaks. He says these wonderful words. Out of the storm comes a word. And out of that storm, that word said this, do not be afraid, it's me. You see, we don't interpret trials and storms like that. We think this is anything but him. Friends, the Christian, the disciple, knows that in the middle of the storm stands Christ. Do not be afraid, it's me. Oh, that we would hear these sweet words when we are tempted to fear in times of crisis or when we think trouble is going to have its day and win over us. Through the wind, the rain, and the danger, we hear, fear not, it is me. It's me. I'm in the wind, and I'm in the waves. I am here. Trust me. Friends, if there is no loving God behind the storm, that is over the storm, that overrules it, if there is no loving God controlling it and moving it, then the storm is God. Does that make sense? If God is not in the storm, if he's somewhere else, then the storm is God. If it's me versus the storm, let me say it like this. If it's me versus the storm, I lose. I can't beat hurricanes. But if it's God versus the storm and I'm standing behind him, he wins every time. Right? Disciples have this ability to pay no mind to the world as it collapses around them. And they don't wait until the storm stops to follow Jesus. They follow him precisely when it is the most difficult and dangerous to do so. Peter doesn't wait until things calm down. Did you notice this? (laughs) So he sees... It's, don't be afraid, it's me, it's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Okay, Jesus, that's cool. He doesn't say, all right, well, let's just wait the storm out, and if it's really you, when the storm's ends, when the storm's finished, you call me out there, and then I'll walk on the water. At least he could swim back to the boat if it didn't work out, right? That's what I would have done. I wouldn't have said, Jesus, call me out in the middle of a hurricane to walk on water. I would have made this easier for me. <laughs> He doesn't wait till things calm down until he has more financial security to um, go to India, to be generous to a neighbor, right? They don't follow Jesus when they have more of a guarantee that nothing bad's going to happen to them. Friends, if this isn't Jesus, I mean, if, if, if this person isn't the Lord and Peter steps out of the boat, Peter's dead. He dies. Friends, it is possible to get in a boat. We all can do that. 
Jesus is getting the boat. Okay, I, all right, Jesus, so far I'm with you. You know, I have to leave my home. I'm missing the game. It's a little inconvenient, but okay, I'm in the boat. And now Jesus says, okay, now take the next step and walk on water with me. Oh, you see, it's possible to get in a boat. It's not possible to walk on water. And Christ tells us to do both. He tells you to do both. He tells, he tells his disciples, put yourself in a position where if I don't come through, you'd be in big trouble. It seems reckless. Peter, walk on water? Maybe like, maybe like, hey, help us catch some fish. That seems kind of hard in a storm. But at least if we don't catch fish, we just don't have lunch. I don't die, right? If it is you, he says, command me to walk on the water with you. I just mentioned this, but I don't know that that's what I, that, that would be my test. Um, I might say something like, if it's you, chill the storm out or something, right? And bon, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I mentioned him earlier, he gives us some great wisdom here. He says this, the very, the very first step a man must take in following Jesus is an act which radically affects his whole existence changes everything. The first step that Peter took didn't mean that he had faith yet. Did you notice this? If it is you, command me to walk on the water. He had to obey before he believed. Right? We can't actually have faith until, and Peter couldn't have faith until he obeyed the command of Christ. It was Peter's obedience to the command of Jesus to step out that birthed faith in him. In other words, Peter would not have known who, that it was Jesus unless he obeyed the command to walk on the water. Because the test was that if you, if you don't sink, it's Jesus. If you sink, it's not. So when he, when he stepped on the water in obedience to the command of Christ, and, he, and that water somehow held him up, he had faith that it was Christ. It was in his obedience that he was able to know and believe in Christ. Friends, we should all expect to struggle with faith if we continually hear the command of Christ and refuse to obey. We can't say like, well, I'll, I'll do those things when I have more faith. Maybe doing those things is what will give you faith. Right? Might we be refusing to re surrender something to Jesus' command? We haven't gotten the boat. We haven't stepped out. Maybe a sinful passion, an anger, a resentment, some ambition. Friends, you will find your faith full and bright when you simply heed the Lord's command. Do what he says. And your faith will burgeon and it will be bright. Disciples, get in. And then they do the next impossible thing, they step out. If you believe, step out. Get in, and then get out. <laughs> right? If you believe, if you have faith, step out. If you don't believe and you struggle with faith, obey anyway. Step out. Trust him. Heeding the word of Christ strengthens the faith of those that already have it, and it births faith in those that have none. So disciples of Jesus get in, they step out, and they reach up. Let's talk about this now, because this is important. But when he saw, that's Peter, now he's walking on water. Dude, this is awesome. Water's not supposed to hold people up, but it's holding me up. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out. Why is it? This is true. This is not just Peter. Let's not just be hard on him. Why is it that we as Christians, you can all share this with me, I think, if you're a Christian. We've seen God's miracles. He's bailed us out. He's done amazing things. And then three weeks later, we're afraid again. We're, bat we're, <laughs> we're sinking again. We're looking at the wind and the waves. It's part of growth and discipleship. All of us go through this. So he's walking on water, but he then he starts to get distracted. And he sees the winds, and he becomes afraid, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out. He said, you know what? I'm going to let you sink for a little while. Right? Just so you suffer a bit. Right? Standing up there on the water. Right? You can kind of see his feet, right? Like standing on nothing. 
But no, Jesus immediately, Lord, save me. Friends, when you cry out to the Lord for his salvation, he will save you. He saves you. He's the Savior. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Oh, he's going to catch you, friend. It might not feel like that right now. It might not seem like he's going to catch you, but he will. And sometimes his salvation doesn't happen in all the ways that we expect it to. In other words, salvation doesn't always mean he gives me a new job that makes more money than the one I lost. Salvation doesn't always mean that things work out with my health or with my marriage. But when you call out to Christ for salvation, he gives it to you. He gives you the hope and love and life that you need from him. Right? Friends, it's not good. If we, if we can read this passage, right? So he gets, out, he gets in the boat, then he gets out of the boat. And he's walking on water, and then he starts to sink. There's a simple lesson that I think that we can learn. It is not good enough to begin well. We need to end well, too. It's not good enough that we once had faith but don't anymore. That's not good enough with Jesus. He wants to build your faith. He wants you to continue in faith. He wants you to have more of it today than you did yesterday. And sometimes we got to sink to get it. Right? It's not enough to be on the land with Jesus. We need to get in the boat with Jesus. It's not enough to be in the boat with Jesus. We need to walk on the water with Jesus too. We need to step out. It's not enough to just step out of the water and walk on the water with Christ and do the impossible. We must not, when we're experiencing the impossible, become afraid again. We must not heed the wind and the waves. We must heed the word of Christ when it's the hardest to do so. So a disciple keeps his eyes fixed on the master always. So for Peter, when the sea began to matter more than the master mattered, then the sea became his master. Let me say that again because we, we need more wows for that. When the sea began to matter more than the master, the sea became his master. And that will happen to you too, friend. And what's the problem when the sea is my master? It wins. I can't knock out a tidal wave with my fist. I can't walk on water. I can't blow the wind away. The sea wins. I have limited power, strength, and wisdom. I cannot defeat the evil one, the wicked one in this world on my own strength. I need a hero. I need a champion. I need a savior. I need a king with all power to do it for me, right? A disciple keeps his eyes fixed on the master. That liquid which somehow held Peter's weight when he looked at the wind and the waters, became water again, and he sank. And so every follower of Jesus will begin to sink when we care more about our comfort and safety than we do about the eyes of Christ. So here he is now, engulfed in the misery of his own unbelief, of his own making. He's sinking not because of anything Jesus did, but because he lacked faith. And now he's sinking. Yet Peter still has enough insight to know that his only hope, again, is Christ. And he doesn't say, hey, guys, he doesn't look to the men on the boat, row me a rope, right? Pass me a buoy. I'm sure they must have had those things back then. I'm not a, like an expert in, you know, sailing in the ancient Near East, but they must have had things that helped you float. Ropes. He doesn't look to the 11 other guys that are on the boat watching all this happen. He cries out to Christ, who is standing on nothing. So again, in desperation, in death, he cries out to Christ for salvation. He doesn't try to start conniving at his own plan and kicking and doing his own thing and asking for help from other people. He says, Jesus, save me. I need you to save me. There is no salvation unless you save me. 
So engulfed in the misery of his own making, Peter still has enough insight and sight he can see his Lord's feet fixed on the water as he begins to sink and cries out. And so every follower of Jesus, when we begin to sink, because maybe we have gotten distracted and care more about the comforts we might be losing and safety and the like than we do following our master and we begin to sink, we need to cry out again, save us. And the Lord stretched out his hand to Peter and saved him. The mighty arm of Yahweh will save you but you need to get in the boat and then you need to step out onto the water and then you need to reach for him and keep reaching for him and keep reaching for him. Because friends, if anyone would be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. So let's wrap this up. Get in, friends. How long have you been a Christian? A year? 10, 20, are you in the boat? Would you get in? Enough is enough. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. God has called us to give up our lives out of love for our Savior because we are convinced that our life is not of this world. Our kingdom is not of this world. Enough is enough. We need to leave behind our preferences and our comforts and follow the Lord and get in and love our neighbors more than ourselves, love our family and friends more than ourselves. We hold the gospel, the words of life in our hand every day. We need to share it with them and stop making excuses. We need to get in the boat. We need to read the word of God so that we know when he tells us to get in the boat. We need to want to be obedient to his word. And the first sign that you want to be obedient to his word is you actually start showing up to his word. What is in this? I want to be close to my maker. I want to live my life the way he tells me to live my life. So I'm, I'm going to take the first step and actually start figuring out what he says. Right? Get in. And then once we're in, we need to step out. When it's hardest to see that Jesus is there. When we think it's not him, it's a ghost, right? We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to fix our eyes on his command and realize that when he speaks us to walk on water, then water doesn't win anymore. We win. Oh, and we need to remember that when the storm is raging and when the, when the sea is tossing us about, that it is Jesus with us on the water. God calls us to do impossible things. To trust him when it's hardest and to surrender our whole life, our whole day, our every moment, our every dollar, our every second to his glory. So we need to get in, we need to step out, and we need to reach up. Okay? What does this t tell me? The story about Peter sinking? No one is so holy that they don't fail, <laughs> right? These guys were closest to Christ. They walked every single day with him. No one is so holy that they figured it out and never make mistakes anymore. No one is so holy that they don't fail or that their faith doesn't weaken in times of trouble. So friend, if you have failed, if your faith has weakened, the Lord's hand is waiting to pull you out. So stop punishing yourself because you messed up and cry out to Christ to save you. Turn from your sin and unbelief and look at Christ and obey Christ and get in the boat. Reach up. And you know what? What's more? People are watching. Who, who was there for all this? There were 11 men in that boat kind of watching, like on HD TV all of this kind of panning out before their eyes, seeing Jesus walk on water and then Peter walk on water and then him sink and then Jesus pull him up like he's standing on some kind of rock. They're, they're all watching this and then they, they climb back into the boat. The sea is calm. The winds stop. And this is what they say. Those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see, friends, 
when we step out, even when we fail, and Jesus Christ rescues us, the world around us gets saved. People don't get saved with cultural Christianity. People don't come to know that Jesus is Lord with cheap grace. They come to know that Jesus is Lord when his disciples follow him. So we need to start following him. If you haven't already, if you're struggling to right now, his way is better than ours. When we follow him, it seems, oh, we're going to sacrifice this or that. But yeah, you see, what happens though, we sell everything, but we get the treasure hidden in the field. It's better than your leather couch. It is better than living in Rhode Island. You see, friends, we can be in China in a prison because we decided to be missionaries and actually take all this seriously. And we can be, or we can be in Indonesia or India, locked up for our faith in a dirty cell, happier than on our cream leather sofa watching the Patriots. Get in. It's time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that we would get in. Oh, God, if we are losing our first love, if we've become apathetic, if we have forgotten that Christ bids us to follow him to the ends of the earth and that he reaches out his holy hand to save us and protect us and extend to us his love, oh, God, help us to want you more. I pray, Lord, convict us that we would follow you that we would even ask the question, what do you command of me, Lord? God, I pray, Lord, that your salvation, which is by your free grace, would motivate us to live a radical, sacrificial life of cross-carrying. Save our neighbors. Save our schools. Save our children. Save this church and other churches. We need you, Christ. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that with outstretched hands, our hand would be clenched to yours. That we would follow you and be faithful to the end. And God, for those who are maybe listening this morning that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, friend, will, would you repent of your sin and reach up to the Savior and have all of your sins washed away and you made clean, white as snow, reconciled to your God and guaranteed the hope of eternal life. Would you cry out to him, God, save me, I'm a sinner. I trust that Christ is my Lord and Savior. And now I want to get in the boat. If that's you, would you come tell me? I want to rejoice with you about what God's doing in your heart. God, thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord. Maybe where this begins for many of us is that we simply just start praying and reading our Bibles every day. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe that's how we get in the boat. Maybe some of us need to quit a job or sell a home or something. I don't know. Not for our own sake, though, but for your glory. God, I pray, Lord, that we would get in. We love you and thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.